Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Twitch is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware, episode 111, recorded March 17th, 2011, the negative episode. Businesses of every size use MailRoute. One user, 50,000 users, it doesn't matter. MailRoute will protect you from spam and viruses, simplify your life, and make your email usable again. Visit MailRoute.info for more details. Welcome to Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware. My name is Patrick Norton, and joining us back, and I'm thinking not looking lobster-like, so he must have wore the big hat and the sunscreen, the benchmarking maven himself, Mr. Ryan Shrout. How's no, it going, I, 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 Well, thank you for welcoming me back. No, I did not get uh, extremely sunburned. Actually, I don't think I really got sunburned at all. I was pretty liberal with the sunscreen. Uh, I'm also not any tanner than I was <laughs> probably two weeks ago as well. Such is the curse of being uh, freckled and redheaded and fair skinned, I guess. So I'm I'm voting for a slight increase in in, in tanniness <laughs> on you. I don't know. Maybe if, I screwed that the with the camera that? white balance a little bit. You never know, right? Uh, at this point, <laughs> yeah, I had no idea I'd be getting wired for uh, a new Wi-Fi antenna on my teeth at the age of forty. So yeah, yeah. I would that like would to be point a surprise. out. A, yeah, basically, if anybody's wondering why I have braces, it's so I still have teeth when I'm 70. That's the deal with my dentist. I get braces, and he promised me I have teeth when I'm 70. So hopefully I outlive him in case I was gonna this say, doesn't work out. <laughs> right, right. I was going to say, if he retires in 10 years and moves to Jamaica or something like that, you know, he, he might have trouble tracking him down. So Not far enough away, man. <laughs> hey, it's going to take a moment to get real serious here. Obviously, uh uh, horrible, horrible, horrible things have been happening in Japan. Obviously, the earthquake, the tsunami, uh, human suffering. And something we talked about on Techzilla, do me a favor before you forward any chain mails that are floating around. Uh, check me against Snopes. Check me against one of the uh, vetted websites out there. Because already there is ridiculous. The thermonuclear fallout map. Why everyone west of the Mississippi is going to die. Um, just do us a favor and... and uh, and uh, try to stop that stuff in its tracks because there's nothing worse than finding a bunch of people who are perfectly reasonable in any other way forwarding along truth because everything written in an email is truth. Because uh, right. I, I one I find that maddening, and two uh, the even some of the most scientific, facts-based, hardcore I am engineer on a stick kind of people I know are freaking out in the waste. Or I should say in the wake of. Uh, in the wake of uh, uh, the the problems with the the storage pools and obviously the reactors um, mm. at Fukuyama in, in China, and I also got to say uh, much respect to the engineers that have been. I think they've, they've been pulled out, they've been dropped back, but you got to say you got to believe the math and you got to believe in your job if you're willing to sit next to a nuclear reactor in a pile of spent fuel rods with fire hoses and portable yeah. pumps dumping 30 tons of water onto an hour to keep that stuff cool. So, you know, keep them in your thoughts and prayers if, if you have a moment uh, to spare, because that is that is pretty hardcore, mm-hmm. people. That is engineering at its finest. And Indeed. do yourself a favor. You know, if you uh, have data that you can't afford to lose, back it up somewhere other than in your house. This is the most over-the-top ridiculous example we've seen since Katrina. Yeah. Where out of pretty much out of nowhere, I mean, other than that guy who shows up on CNN going, I predicted this in a paper I wrote my <laughs> freshman year of college. Um, <laughs> my folks live on a barrier island in the Jersey Shore. I live in earthquake country. Turns yep. out I live like a half block from the tsunami induction line here in Alameda, California. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's nice so, to learn. Yeah, apparently, like, you know, a block over is going to be leveled, but my house will still be here. But, uh, of course, that's assuming the earthquake doesn't take the house. I I bring this up. Um, I've lived in tornado country. I've lived in forest fire country. Apparently, I'm too stupid to live in a flat part of the country where (laughs) where the earth doesn't try to kill you. But even there, you can have a fire. Your computer can be stolen. Um, 
You can have uh, something like what happened to a friend of mine where uh, the electric company accidentally ran 440 volts across the 120-volt circuit into his building and destroyed everything that attached to the electrical supply, including the stove. Um, So do yourself a favor. you got precious data. Back it up and preferably back it up. The most important stuff, make sure you back it off remotely uh, online or just somewhere that isn't where you live. Now, indeed. Let's get cheerful and start GPU. Let, let, let's fire up more GPU conversation. MSI GeForce GTX 550 Ti, the one gigabyte Cyclone OC review. Yeah, so this is uh, uh, another new GPU release. Last week, I assume you and Robert discussed the monstrosity that is the Radeon 6990, right? We thought of it as sort of a giant ball of awesomeness. If you can afford it, is. it, it's not really in a round shape, but I'll go with that analogy. That's fine. Uh, the a giant fistful of two fistfuls of awesomeness. There you go. This, so this <laughs> is a, a six hundred ninety nine dollar video card. Uh, the one that we are going to discuss this week is much much smaller, although it has sharper edges. You might notice uh, it's it's definitely a better weapon. Maybe perhaps it's also a much less expensive GPU. This one will sell for about one hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, it is a new GPU release from NVIDIA. So you'll see, you know, MSI, ASUS, EVGA, all those types of guys. The same people are used to saying we'll all have cards based on this particular GPU. What's kind of new about this is it's the five fifty, so it's lower end. Uh, it, it, it kind of compares to the GTS 450 when it was released um, sometime last year, early last year, I guess. It has 192 mm-hmm. processing cores, stream processors, whatever you want to call them. They run at 900 megahertz, gig of memory. Um, only has a single six-pin power connector required on it, so that's good. It's kind of a, you know your low-power option that way. It does support SLI still, two-way, not three-way. And they're kind of going with the standard two dual link DVI and one mini HDMI output connection on it still. Um, the, the card itself seems like it's a low price card, $149. Uh, the problem for NVIDIA with this particular re- release is we weren't, we weren't very impressed with it um, because they were kind of coming out of the gate saying, look how much faster the, G- the GTX 550 is compared to the GTS 450. And also, we are faster than the Radeon HD 5770. So the first, the first thing there is they were like, okay, we're 28% faster than the GTS 450. Good. We kind of expect that. We, we don't want you to release a 550. You're, you're, you're 100% faster than a rock. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's, it's, you know it's, an, it's an old graphics card. You should be faster. Right. If it's not faster, then we definitely have a problem. Uh, their comparison to the Radeon HD 5770, while still uh, selling and very popular, no, it no longer sells for the $150 price range. You can get those cards for $120 or so. Uh, so that's a difference of about 30 bucks, which isn't a whole lot. But when you're talking about this type of uh, price range, you know, the $150 price range, $30 is 20% of the total cost of the card. Um, so what, what I did to be the most fair to, to the reader, really, because we don't want to just do what NVIDIA and AMD are kind of recommending us to do, is we went out and found the cards that we're selling today for that price. And the most notable one is the GTX 460 uh, 768 meg version. There are two versions of the GTX 460, a 768 and a 1 gig. 768 is a little bit cheaper. Uh, and pretty much across the board, the, I, the GTX... I sense an ass kicking. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much across the board, the GTX 460, which is an NVIDIA chip. It's technically from a previous generation. It's the same architecture, essentially, but there have been little tweaks uh, for power efficiency and that type of stuff mm-hmm. uh, coming from the 400 series to the 500 series. And the, and the 467.68 meg, which is a lot of numbers all at once kind of mashed together, turns out to be a much better card uh, it does use more power, but not exceptionally so. If you're gonna, if you're a gamer, kind of, if you're worried about game frame rates, you're probably not worried about twenty or thirty watts of power consumption. Um, right. <clears throat> and so that was that was kind of disappointing, right? Because it, it seemed obvious that in the the Nvidia kind of marketing machine didn't really take into account 
what the actual prices are on cards for the market today. They kind of went like, well, what are the sticker prices of the cards that we want <laughs> to compare against, right? What are the MSRPs? Because um, you look like they compared themselves to GTS 450, like we were saying, 28%. That card goes for 80 bucks now. So it's like right. half the price almost uh, of this GTX 550. So you definitely would assume it'd be faster than that. Uh, and just as the last little note here, I I took uh, another AMD card, the Radeon 6850, one gigabyte card. And I used mm-hmm. that just as kind of an example of here's a card that costs about 20 to $25 more than the GTX 550. So we already kind of assumed, we, we already came to the conclusion that GTX 460s that you can still buy today that are 150 bucks are better cards for the money. If you're going to spend $25 more, you can actually get a, a 6850 that does way better than even the GTX 460 does. So it kind of you know demonstrates two things. One, at this $100 to $200 price range for graphics cards, there are so many options that you have to be very careful right. that... You don't kind of buy into the hype and say, oh, this is a 550, you know, model number. It's got to be better uh, and immediately go buy that. We literally just had a question like this on Tex Hill. The guy's like, I had a 4560 upgraded for a 54, whatever. My new GPU is slower on video games. What gives? And we're like, you went from a, you know, enthusiast video card to an right. entry level DX11 card with like, I think it was one eighth or one quarter of the band memory bandwidth, you know, mm, fewer, sh- yeah. you know, shaders. And it's like, and this has been a problem with, with GPUs, mm. you know, for, ever where yep. just because a number is higher doesn't mean the card is actually faster you really have to check reviews right. you really have to check specs or you can really find yourself looking at a card and going i wasted my money and that's right. just you know I, I i think it's a problem for the industry but i think in a lot of ways the industry doesn't really care is that too obnoxious um, um to say that no no i don't, I don't <laughs> think that's too obnoxious i i i think uh Cadence that they release products, there's going to be mm-hmm. difficulty trying to, to to create some kind of modeling num- model numbering system I, that really kind of can make it communicates that. You mean look at Intel and their processors and AMD and their processors, as well as the GPU side, where there's really nothing to do that's that's going to kind of satisfy both sides here. So you just kind of make sure you, I, you don't have to do really in depth research, but you have to do basic research and and, and check the most sensible type of views. I mean, is there any point in releasing, you know, the 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 GF, the GTX 550, the GF116, or are they just doing it because they need to be consistent with their model and they haven't sold out the channel on the older parts yet? Because I mean, the right. 560 Ti is a good part. You know, the 580 Ti seems to be a really good part. This one just seems to fall a little farther off the curve than we'd like. It does, yeah. It's, <clears throat> this, I mean, this like the 550, the GTX 550 Ti here, the one, the new one. If this were 15 to 20 dollars less expensive i'd have no uh-huh. problem with it it would be it would fit right in line with the you know the radeon 5770 uh it, it outperforms that and it's less expensive than other cards that outperform it it just seems like out of the gate the pricing on this not properly set i think we'll see that kind of self-correct here in probably you know two or three weeks and then because you, you've got to assume the 400s will eventually be gone Right, and you mm-hmm. will be left for what the five hundreds and whatever comes after that, six hundreds or whatever. Um, and so I think you know you'll kind of settle. Uh, we'll, we'll settle into the right price point for this, but out of the gate, not not a good choice at one hundred and fifty bucks. <laughs> Interesting thought here, Lucid Hydro Performance. You guys reviewed uh, so Lucid Hydro technology allows you to to run um, basically Nvidia cards. Uh, to uh, run Paris NVIDIA cards on your AMD motherboards. And it's really the only, obviously AMD isn't going to build chipsets that are compatible with NVIDIA's cards. <laughs> right, so that's actually, it's actually not AMD's choice. It's NVIDIA's oh, choice. NVIDIA's choice. Yeah, Sorry. so originally SLI was a licensed technology. I still, I guess technically it still is. Um, it, but at one point, it only worked on NVIDIA chipsets, and NVIDIA only made chipsets for AMD, and then they made them for AMD and Intel, uh, and everything was great. And then they left the chipset market, and that was going to be an issue. And then they decided, okay, well, we figured we figured out how to make it work on in- Intel chipsets. There's no technical reason to keep this from running on AMD other than kind of NVIDIA's stinginess towards the market in that way. <laughs> right. I think I think I think things are kind of shifting over. Like I. 
I want to say in the not too distant future that we will have that ability, SLI and AMD motherboards. Um, But today, no, you cannot. Is it a great loss? Um, I think so. I think it's just one of those things that a consumer shouldn't have to think about. You know, you, you can make your CPU and motherboard and platform decision completely separate than your GPU decision, right? Am I going to get, if I'm going to get an AMD system or an Intel system, okay, made that decision. Now, what graphics card am I going to get? Am I going to get an NVIDIA 560? Am I going to get a Radeon 6850? Well, if you decide on the AMD side, it almost behooves you to go to the AMD side. If you even think in a remote chance that you're going to want to do multi-GPU scaling because you didn't have, you don't have the option to do that with NVIDIA's products. So, I think it's kind of a downer. I mean, AMD is not the biggest enthusiast seller as well. So if like if it were 50-50, I think NVIDIA would definitely be licensing or, or allowing SLI uh, to run on AMD platforms. But because Intel is still so dominant in the market, they're, they're kind of okay with just addressing that, that section of it. But the, the, the Hydra technology on this, I'm not going to go into too, too much depth on this, but definitely go to PCPer.com and check out the review uh, that Josh wrote up. The promise of Hydra was completely GPU independent, CPU independent, multi-GPU scaling, uh, as long as you had a Hydra chip on your motherboard. So you could install uh, a GTX 550 plus a Radeon 6850 and get uh, performance that would you know combine the power of both of those GPUs. Or you could do two identical NVIDIA cards, or you could do two non-identical NVIDIA cards. Same thing with AMD. So right. the... The theory has always been spectacular, right? For the enthusiast and for, for those of us in the industry that are like, wow, this would solve so many problems if it, if it, if it worked and we could get everything kind of running in this, this unique ecosystem. The problem is, is now that we're, I guess, at least a full year into product availability with Hydra technology, it still just doesn't work very well. <laughs> uh, it's a better it theory works- than reality. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that's the case. I mean, we Josh here tested uh, quite a few games: um, Dirt Two, Far Cry Two, Fallout Three, Lord of the Rings Online, Metro Twenty Thirty Three. We tested them with um, both two AMD cards, two NVIDIA cards, an AMD and NVIDIA card, and there's really only a couple of titles out of that collection that really scaled very well. If you look at, <laughs> excuse me, one of the titles that I thought we would have been less likely to see. Um, Lord of the Rings Online is one where Hydra actually outperformed what Crossfire could do. So Hydra multi-GPU with two AMD cards actually performed better than what Crossfire could do with two GPUs. Um, And that was kind of like one of those promises of Hydra that has always you know, been there, but never really delivered on a lot of titles. I mean, if you don't support... That's kind of the Metro exception that makes the rule in that case. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's really disappointing because, like I said, I mean, it's it's a, it's a really, really good idea. Um, but if you're going to have to pay extra or, or, or specifically hunt out motherboards that uh, implement Hydra technology on them, we want to be able to say, yeah, it's going to work for most of your titles. It's going to work for a lot of your games or it's going to work for everything. Right. You can always revert back and just use a single GPU, but then what's the point, right? <laughs> um, so eh, it, it is another kind of like, it feels like a downer episode of the show so far. It was was down on the GTX 550 Ti, <laughs> and down on the, on the Hydra technology. Um, and it, it was unfortunate because I basically had the same conclusion the very first time I looked at Hydra. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it, it worked in some instances and in other instances it didn't. And we were very, since it was the first kind of look at it, we were very hopeful. We were thinking, right. okay, give them three months, give them six months. They'll have this working. Well, it, it, it didn't happen. And at this point we're kind of out of patience, I guess. <laughs> That's a bad place to be. Yeah, it is. Interesting move for OCZ technology, right? One of the premier SSD vendors out there going neck and neck or, toe-to-toe or fist-to-fist with Intel, mm-hmm. they've acquired Indolinks, um, which is kind of a peculiar purchase because um, OCZs kind of reach their performance heights using Sandforce controllers on their solid-state drives. Right. 
And basically, uh, essentially, depending on how you want to do the math, either IndyLynx owns 10% of OCZ or OCZ brought out <laughs> IndyLynx. Right. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, Alan uh, Melventano, who's the PC per SSD expert, uh, checked in on the, the webcast. OCZ does not plan on dropping other controller technology from their lineup, i.e. Sandforce and Vertex are not going anywhere. Mm. IndyLynx will continue to supply their controllers to other SSD makers, i.e. OCZ competitors. IndyLynx has newer controllers in their pipeline. And, quote, the acquisition will enable OCZ to implement IndyLynx chips at close to the cost of the die, which is significantly cheaper than presently available. This will increase OCZ's margin on those SSDs as well as to help drop prices in the future. Um, and I, I think part of that is when if you're, if you're, if you're Intel – you are a gigantic organization with relatively right. limitless resources, more sure. fabs than you know what to do with, the, the ability to produce more chips than probably any market can consume if you really want to, you know, <laughs> press things and, you know, right. roll, you know, I mean, max things out. And it's got to be tough for somebody like OCZ, you know, who is in this case the, the, the David to Intel's Goliath. And one of the ways to beat a company like Intel to OEM partnerships and as much as everybody, you know, me, Ryan, most of the people that are listening right now, you like to get inside your machine, you like to tweak things, you like to upgrade parts, you like to change things, you like to build your own systems. The vast majority of money made by hard drive vendors and graphics card vendors, or more accurately, uh, graphics chip makers, GPU makers, is in the big giant contracts with OEMs, Dell, HP, you right. get the idea, Apple, whoever it is. So this is an interesting thing that maybe one of the big reasons for doing this isn't so they can control the intellectual property that that Indylakes has, but so literally that they can have they can have at least one way to undercut the cost of their drives to be more competitive with large OEM contracts. Um, right. Strange out and and as you pointed out, PC Per pointed out in the article, this came out of nowhere. No no yeah. rumors, no burbling, no background conversations, no. You know, weird mentions at CES. It was all of a sudden like, boom! By the way, we bought <laughs> we bought IndyLynx. It it was, yeah, it was kind of an out left field. I mean, IndyLynx is not they're they're a good SSD controller manufacturer. Their products are good. Uh, they're not the fastest. They're not Sandforce speed, uh, but they could have other products kind of in the pipeline here that that would be uh, on that kind of uh, level, I guess. So the the comments there that you that you quoted from the story, where they said uh, you know they don't plan on dropping other technologies, uh, they still continue to plan to supply IndyLynx to other vendors. That kind of there's there's still some things in the air. Like some people were were tweeting back to me uh, earlier in the week when this when this story broke. Is this good for consumers or is this bad for consumers? I think. In general, you have to you have to kind of believe that this is going to be bad for consumers um, because I believe that OCZ will keep making SSDs from other vendors because they want to be top performance for the consumer, right? They're still going to have Sandforce mm -hmm. unless unless they are so confident that IndyLink's next controller, the next barefoot controller, whatever it's going to be called, is going to be able to keep up with Sandforce. I believe they will keep with the other controllers. However. I don't believe the fact that IndyLynx will continue to supply it to other SSD makers for a couple of reasons. One, would uh, OCZ like to enable competition, right, which is what they would okay. be doing? Uh, would they want to sell that controller that they now own to Corsair, Patriot, those guys to rebrand and resell? And if you're Patriot, Corsair, and those guys, do you want to buy a controller from a company that is your competition that you are then, you know, helping them stay alive, that you're giving them profits and that kind of stuff. I, right. I tend to be on the side that thinks it, eventually, not immediately, maybe not even in the first year, IndyLynx will be kind of exclusive to OCZ branded drives, um, mm -hmm. which just my initial thought is that's bad for consumers. But if OCZ keeps up with you know development, um, will, will their engineers keep building new parts uh, and coming up with new controllers? To, yeah, right. Um, and you're right. You're 100% correct in that they don't, the consumer, we're important. We matter. But the real money is in uh, OEM markets, is in enterprise markets. That's where their right. high margin is. It's where their high volume is, even. 
Uh, so if this helps them even for the next 24 months make a lot of money in that area, uh, then it then it seems to make sense. So, I mean, it, it, it's kind of an interesting move. I don't think it will affect anything in the immediate time frame. Um, but I, I, I think it will be more interesting perhaps than the than the initial uh, announcement, <laughs> it seems. So. Yeah, we usually expect like, yeah, and maybe it's kind of of living in a in a post Apple recovery iPod kind of a world. As you expect big announcements like this for them to be like, and we've got the super widget, and there was no super widget. It was just like we bought these guys, and here's the deal, and and move on. We'll talk about it later. Right. Uh, another kind of unexpected thing that's been getting some coverage. Uh, CNET was writing about this. Um, um, Shogun Gamer did a review of them. Um, the Expand XPAND 3D glasses, universal active shutter 3D glasses. Expand's mm-hmm. goal. They're, Expand, you probably never heard of them. Um, I'm pretty sure they're making the glasses uh-huh. for Vizio and okay. uh, Panasonic's televisions. Um, but the idea is that you will be able to adjust these glasses. And what was interesting is, is the guys from Shogun. Uh, ShogunGamer.com took a pair of the glasses with them to the 2011 Consumer Electronics show floor and basically looked for every 3D television they could find and tweaked them, adjusted them until they synced up with the television. And this That's is a pretty cool. interesting idea. If if you have, you know, if you bought a 3D HD TV, you may have found out that e- either A came with no 3D glasses in the box, or B that it, maybe it came with one pair and there's two people in your house or two pair and there's three people in your house. And in any case, you went to buy them and these unbelievably ugly, clunky glasses cost about 180 bucks. Wait, you think these are ugly? These. It's <laughs> high up on my nose too. Panasonic. It's the like worst a, you know, I somewhere around here there's there's I've got a. Uh, a best of collection of Ray Charles with those beautiful Persol glasses he wore. And those are like a caricature of those classic fifties Persol glasses. Yeah. You know, and the truth is, is you don't wear those glasses to look good. You wear those glasses so that the stuff on the screen looks good. But you know, right. it, and think about this is right now you buy a TV, you buy glasses for your family of four that work for the TV. You buy another TV in three or five years, you have to buy a whole new collection of glasses, Right. And that's, you know, in theory, maybe the glasses will be cheap in five years. Maybe it'll be passive in five years. Maybe we won't need glasses. But the threat for a lot of people on 3D, along with the expense and the lack of great content outside of some gaming and, and maybe Avatar, if you can actually buy a Blu-ray 3D or 3D <laughs> Blu-ray of Avatar. Right. Yeah, was, they're getting like 125 bucks for the Yeah, the I know. Bundle, I, I bought the Panasonic kit that came with it uh, before Christmas. And Probably I really thought about it. Like, do I really need this movie or would I rather have $150? I could sell it. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still sell it at this point. But Expand's goal and Gunner Optics, who um, is a company that make the specialized eyewear for people that live on computers like we do, is going to be another competitor uh, for this. But the idea is that you, you buy a $70 or $80 pair of glasses that their goal for Expand wants them to work for everything from – Notebook computers all the way up through big screen uh, televisions. So I'm actually looking forward to get our hands on some of these to see how it works. Um, I'm also I would. I mean, I, I was showing you these three different types of glasses I have. So we have I have probably three or four pairs of these NVIDIA 3D vision glasses um, uh, over before Christmas. We bought a, a 50 inch Panasonic 3D TV that has, in my opinion, these are the worst glasses I've used. But uh, we've, we've got two pairs of these. And just recently, we got a Sony uh, smaller 3D TV for, uh, for a different office. And they use completely different glasses. And, of course, I had to try all the other glasses just to see if by some magic event they all worked uh, on, on one or the other TVs. And they do not, of course. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's kind of like the uh, if you're ever a guitar hero or rock band fan, the 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 stigma of having like nine different plastic <laughs> guitars because they went one went with PlayStation Two, one went with PlayStation Three, one went with Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. It's the same type of issue there. So it's wasteful. I mean, why? It is. Why do you need four guitars with the same freaking four colored buttons on them? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and and then suddenly, <laughs> the. Uh, a uh, pretty good article up on uh, hardocp.com. If you've been thinking about making the move to water cooling and you don't want to deal with the threat, um, I was actually talking to, to Kyle from Hardocp about this. Is like, look, 
if you're not willing to get your motherboard wet and kill your computer, you shouldn't be water cooling or should be using a sealed system, a pre-configured system. Uh, Corsair's right. H70s um, is an upgrade to their H50, one of the better known ones. Uh, Thermorite Archon, Coolitz Eco 240. And they just reviewed up at hardocp.com the Antec Cooler H2620 CPU water cooler. And basically, uh, as they describe it, easy processor water cooling is getting well easier all the time. Yeah. Um, pretty good write-up on that one. If we tend, want to take a look at uh, the comparisons, where it really gets interesting is looking at the cost or, or what they chart out as a dollar performance ratio. Uh, uh-huh. And that's where things get kind of sticky. I don't want to steal the thunder. Everybody should go to PCPer.com. Everybody should go to HardSCP.com, read the articles that we talk about. But if you're thinking about water cooling and thinking about using a pre-assembled kit, uh, check this out on hardscp.com, their review of the Antec Cooler with the umlau, K-U, and with the umlau, yeah, I was H-L-E-R, say, we K-U-H-L-E-R, since probably no one wants to go through the weird manipulations to get an umlau over their U. If you Antec Cooler, you will not get that product, would be my guess. No, you will get everything under the sun but uh the usual pretty thorough review on that one check yep. that one out should we take a moment to thank one of our lovely sponsors we definitely should before we jump into our emails we will take a moment here to pause collect our thoughts and thank <laughs> MailRoute, mailroute.info to be specific businesses of every size are using MailRoute. if you've got one user you've got fifty thousand users it doesn't really matter this service will protect you from spam and viruses simplify your life and to make your email usable again. It is, it's a secure hosted service that filters virus and spam for companies of any size. Uh, it, it eliminates viruses and spams, or I'm sorry, eliminates viruses and spam, reduces the load on your email servers, lowers your, your cost, and makes your email usable again. Typical mail route customers see a 95% reduction in their inbound email volume with virtually no false positives. Leo's been using Marriott for quite a long time, more than six years, actually. Um, Tom Mara started using MailRoute, and now he can use domains that he'd been given up on as uh, being basically hopeless. Tom Johnson's the founder and CEO of MailRoute, started one of the very first companies, FrontBridge. It was acquired by Microsoft in 2005 and is still offered as a Microsoft Exchange-hosted service. Tom wasn't done, though, had too many good ideas, and he couldn't stand to see go to waste, so he started MailRoute, his next-generation service for filtering email with a level of accuracy and a price that's unmatchable. There's nothing easier for mail mail filtering than MailRoute. There's no hardware or software you have to install. It's just sign up with MailRoute and then change the MX records of your domain to start the mail flowing through MailRoute servers, and they do all of the work for you. If you want more information, and obviously you're going to want it, uh, visit MailRoute.info to sign up. As a Twit listener, you'll receive 10% discount for the life of your account. Small business accounts start at just $2 per user per month for 10 users. And because of the demand from the Twit army, MailRoute has added a new service for individual users as well, less than $30 per user per year for single users. Visit MailRoute.info and sign up for the free, or I'm sorry, Visit MailRoute.info to get more information. You can sign up with the email filtering service that Tom and Leo use. And we thank them for their support of This Week in Computer Hardware. Uh, If you want to send us an email, the address is twitch at twit.tv. That's T-W-I-C-H, no no T-W-I-T-C-H. Some people have been uh, confused by that. This Week in Computer Hardware. Twitch at twit.tv. We're going to jump into a handful of emails today, starting with one from uh, Michael about sticking it out with Core 2. <laughs> he says, so I just bought a used GTX 461 gigabyte card we were just referencing to replace my seriously aged 8800 GTX. The system I'm throwing it into is an E6750 clocked at 3.2 gigs uh, 2 gigahertz with 8 gigs of DDR2-800. I'd like to be able to game comfortably. His resolution is 1680 by 1050 for the next 6 to 12 months before building a completely new system. Can he get by with just a graphics card, or is there any serious value need in going up to a Core 2 quad? I've looked at everything from a Q8400 to the Q9550, but without a frame of reference, I have no idea if these are worthwhile upgrades. I know more and more games can utilize four cores. My fear is sinking too much cash into legacy architecture for marginal performance improvements. I'm also stuck in DDR2, although the real-world implications of that is likely minor. 
so yeah, that's actually uh, a very good question. I'm curious though. I I, ha- I don't have any kind of numbers offhand. Going from an 8800 GTX to a 461 gig. So the 8800 GTX is probably the top uh, graphics card of that generation of that 8000 series GeForce products. And the 460 is kind of like a mid-range, but several generations later. It's probably still, the 460 is probably still faster. Plus you get DX11 support, that type of thing. Um, If you're looking at a game at 1680 by 1050 which is a, a pretty modest resolution today for desktop gamers. I think for the next 6 to 12 months, your, your processor is probably going to be just fine. Yeah, a lot of games are taking advantage of more than two cores, but I, I still don't think that they're going to place a huge bottleneck on your system. Some games will. If you're looking at like Civilization V, um, I've heard some... Um, the new Total War game, uh, Shogun 2, I think that just came out. You can expect those types of games, a lot of RTS-style games, uh, anything with lots and lots of characters on screen at one time, StarCraft 2, that type of thing. They do use the CPU fairly heavily, but uh, I-, I think that processor is a little bit old, but I agree. If you're going to buy it, if build a new system in 6 to 12 months, I would go ahead and wait. Uh, I think you'll be fine with your GTX 460. You know, you'll, we'll, we'll have uh, Sandy Bridge will be completely out and about now it already is now by the way those b3 revision motherboards are out um so you'll still be able to do that and i don't think you know it, spending 200 300 on a new processor i don't think you're going to see the benefit there you know i think you'll see more benefit out of your 160 or 180 graphics card upgrade that you already went ahead and did so i i, I would recommend staying where you're at for now especially if we're just talking about a six-month wait Nope, oh, I think we muted Patrick, or Patrick muted himself. Sorry, <laughs> I was right. like, yeah, waiting six months. Like, it's just spending three hundred bucks to wait six months and to buy Core i seven or or whatever else might be available by then. It just seems like a waste of three hundred bucks. Um, you know, unless you are playing one of those games that desperately needs four cores, in which case I still think you should pocket the three hundred dollars for another six months and buy a much better CPU when you get there. Per has an interesting question about uh, MacBook Pro 13-inch. He's got the 5400 RPM hard drive in it. From your show and everywhere else, you hear that an SSD is a must for increasing general snappiness and joy using your computer. <laughs> I've looked around on forums on the web, and it seems that a lot of people are having issues with third-party SSDs in their MacBook Pros. He'd rather avoid the SSD from Apple as he hears they're rather slow compared to newer models. What are your recommendations for a 128-gigabyte SSD for the new MacBook Pro? Love your show and greetings from Denmark. Um. <laughs> mm. uh, I, I don't think, I mean, a year ago, I think there were a lot of problems happening with MacBook Pros yeah. and SSDs, and they were kind of random. I mean, like, yeah, I think like um, Patriot was having 50% fail rates on MacBook Pros. Um, there's a really great um, exempts sinful syndication. I think he does this great thing where he went through like I think four or five different SSDs before he got one to properly not just install and get recognized, but actually install OS 10 on it. Right. Um, you know, if you absolutely positively want something that works, buy it from Apple. Um, I'm a big fan of Otherworld Computing. They do some really good stuff. Anything Otherworld yep. Computing sells you should work on a MacBook. Yep. <laughs> there was there, we were having um, an inter- interesting discussion last night about this. There is a rumor going around. So the new version uh, or the new Mac Pros, MacBook Pros, support trim uh, right. natively, but there is a rumor going around that that is only supported on the SSDs that are sold through Apple. Like if you put in a third party. Mm-hmm. SSD, even if it's a controller that obviously supports trim, uh, you know, maybe even the same controller that uh, Apple is using on their upgrades, that it may not actually implement it correctly. So, uh, something to keep in mind. But he's already got a MacBook Pro 13. So, uh, well, he's, he says he's got this brand new one. I, you know what? I, um, we, I don't know if we've talked, we haven't mentioned it yet, but I know at least as of yesterday, there was a big sale on the, Ver- the OCZ Vertex 2 drives. Uh, those are sand force based drives. You can get a 240 gig for $380. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a dollar 58 per gig, something like that. I know you can get the 120 gig version for, uh, I don't know. I don't want to quote the price there, but it was a similar okay. price per gigabyte. So it was, it was a pretty good right. sale on those. Um, 
We've used those drives in lots of different systems here and, and have had no problems. So if you're looking for a specific recommendation, there's there's one of many for you. <laughs> oh, we got an email. Just... Go ahead. Oh, no. All right. Uh, we got an email from Rick about A-C-H-I. I might have typed that wrong. A-H-C-I and reinstalling. During last week's show, you guys stated you have to reinstall your OS after enabling A-C-H-I. I kept wanting to say that wrong. Uh, this is not true. Microsoft has released a workaround where you can install the AHCI drivers before enabling AHCI on the BIOS, thus allowing you to reboot properly. And he has a link here to a support.microsoft.com slash KB slash 922976, which is a, a new bit of information for me. This has never been like kind of officially supported um, right. by, by Microsoft at any point, um, but it looks like they have kind of come around. It's interesting. This is like at, at PC Perspective Forums, we actually have um, a thread that I have also uh, looked up here. It's I won't try to say the whole URL, but if you Google PC per AHCI, this will definitely come up as the first result. Right. We have almost a million views on the first page of this thread. Oh, that, wow. That uh, it's like it's been it's just it's been Googled to death, right? <laughs> and it's how to enable AHCI mode after installing Windows. And this thread has been around and updated since 2007. It's gone through many revisions of what operating system you're using, all that kind of stuff. It's obviously very popular, uh, hopefully for a reason. Um, so it looks like if you uh, had issues with that, I guess this was a question that you and Robert kind of uh, fielded last week. Then, yeah, it was. It was definitely one that kind of had us running. Ashwin sure. emails in about Fios and the home theater PC. It says Fios TV works exactly like every other digital cable provider. Just call up Verizon and they'll send over a tech with a multi-stream cable card in hand. We had a question about a home theater buildup and whether or not mm. you could actually do a home theater PC um, that would work with Verizon's Fios TV. Mm. Ashwin says, I used an InfiniTV 4 with my Fios install and it works perfectly. If you're interested, he says, here's my amazing build. My movies plus any DVD to rip Blu-rays, InfiniTV 4 to record HD Fios, Zoom Pass because Microsoft DRM plays nice with Media Center, 6-terabyte RAID 5 and a Core i7-920, which uh, since he just said Zoom, I, I also want to send out my condolences to the Zoom, which Microsoft has decided to quietly drop this week. <laughs> the hardware, but not the software. So True. the Zoom Pass here will still be good, which... I the Zoom lives Zoom. on in the Windows Phone 7 interface. It does. It does. And I've got my hands on the first, uh, my first experience with Windows Phone 7 this week. And I, and I like it. And the Zoom implementation on it is actually really cool. Uh, but I don't think it's enough for me to actually move <laughs> over from anything else. Uh, let's see. We've got a lot of emails here. Not a whole lot of time in. Let's, um, we got an email from Felix about quiet GPUs says the show is pure, uncensored, awesome sauce. So that's that's a compliment, right? Yeah, I think it's uh, a, a massive compliment. <laughs> I am building myself a gaming PC since uh, my current is six years old and takes an astonishing twenty five minutes to boot. I have a high res display, uh, Dell U twenty seven eleven, which is twenty five sixty by fourteen forty, and I want some serious gaming performance to be able to enjoy all those lovely pixels. The problem <laughs> is, I want to be able to use my computer without annoying the living hell out of the rest of my family, as I have in the past with the old X sixteen fifty Pro. Uh, at the moment, I'm leaning towards a sixty nine fifty two gigabyte with dual BIOS, which I will f- uh, use to flash my card into hopefully a sixty nine seventy. Problem is, I don't know which card to choose. It doesn't be a doesn't seem to be a consensus in the different forums online as far as which to choose. Some say the reference coolers work just fine if you lower the fan speed. Others say the power cooler PCS++ is quiet, whilst others say it really isn't, and so on. Uh, I will have good airflow in the chassis and can live with some noise when I'm gaming. Please help me out here, guys. Uh, I don't have any experience with that power color PCS++ cooler that I know they're using on some of their uh, 6,000 cards. Have you used them at all? No, I have not. Um, okay. The the thing that I wanted to, to remind Felix of is that you can change um, <laughs> you can change the cooler on your GPU. That's true. It's not that painful, and and there are many, you know, fr- like FrozenCPU.com is a good source. Um, yep. And start looking through there. And I would suggest you know uh, upgrading. Um, you know, basically looking for a quieter cooler, uh, whatever card you get. Um, 
But yeah, the uh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I know Zalman to... has some now for the 6800 series as well. I know they're uh, they're more uh, they're better coolers. I don't know exactly how much quieter they are. The reference coolers are actually pretty good pretty on good. the 6800 series. Um, 6800 and 6900 series actually. The 6900 series cards use vapor chamber coolers um, because mm-hmm. the 6900 GPU, um, the uh, I can't remember the code name, but the 6900 GPUs do get hotter than the 6800s. Um, right. So it, that's and especially if you talk about flashing a 6950 to a 6970, I don't know what that does to. I, I think that the the cooler really have, will be able to handle it, but right. the the BIOS is probably not set up for the temperature scales then of a 6970, mm. which is just more cores. So that might actually make it a little bit louder than uh, than what you would get if you just used that standard stock reference. But, um, I mean, in general, most of the time, the aftermarket coolers are going to be a little bit better. Otherwise, what's the point right. of using them? You know, this, this MSI card, although I dogged the 550 GPU, this cooler is actually very, very efficient. It's about 20 degrees Celsius cooler than the reference um, uh-huh. one that I used. And it's about the same noise level. So you get one or the other. Either they're they're going to make it massively more efficient or they're going to make it quieter most of the time. <laughs> so if it's the same price, I say try the power color. Why not? And if you're feeling crazy, this is also – like the first thing that came up for 6950 is a pair of 6970 uh, EK Radeon HD liquid cooling blocks. Um, nice. Which yeah. at 107 bucks a pop for the entry-level one. But that will be relatively quiet, and it will be extremely cool for your GPU. Not cool like, you know, I am so hip, I have braces, but cool is in <laughs> keeping the thermals down. You just have to, you know. Yeah, known compatibility, power color, PCS, HD950. <laughs> I'm telling you, this this may be the call for you to take up water cooling, Felix. You have time for one more, or should we wrap it on that one? Um, if you, Is there one in particular you're looking at here we can get to? Um, there was somebody commenting about the G5 discussion you guys had last week. I don't know if that's... Oh, actually, I'd love to do that one. Okay. <laughs> Gareth writes in, uh, we're talking about somebody wrote in, they had a G5, and they're like, can I salvage the G5? Can I use the parts, or should I just rip the guts out and start all over again? Right. Gareth says, excuse me, Gareth, I can tell the Advil's subsiding. They also <laughs> did some work on my uh, tongue with a laser uh, at the dentist this morning, the orthodontist. Some nice day. Yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, <laughs> Gareth says, hey, guys, further to the discussion last week, all I'm saying is frenulum. My frenulum is now shorter. Gareth says, hi, guys, further to the discussion last week, can I suggest a use for G5 towers, media centers? I know what you're about to say, but hear me out. I have a dual 2 gigahertz G5, 1.5 gigs of RAM, and a GeForce FX 5200 stock as new. It runs 10.5, the last OS available for a PowerPC, and has XBMC running on it. With the latest version of XBMC, it runs 720p MKV files without any problems. DVI to HDM cable connected to the TV. I filled the G5 with a couple of 2-terabyte hard drives for space. G5s come with an optical as standard for those who want 5.1 audio. It also has a MySQL server running for XBMC for a shared library. Firefly Media Server for my music as an iTunes share, airfoil speakers, so that I could run remote speakers and serves media up to my jailbroken Apple TV 2, which runs XBMC amazingly. It also huh. runs ITV to act as my PVR. Remote Buddy allows me to control it all from a Wiimote. It may not play back 1080p. However, a better graphics card may do it. Uh, but there isn't a lot of that. It may not be the fastest or most power efficient, but it does what it needs to do. If you have the space to store the tower, it's worth doing. On one hand... Interesting. Yeah, on one hand, I'm totally with you, Gareth. You've 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 actually done an amazing job getting some useful stuff out of that G5, that PowerPC right. processor. On the other hand, I would love to see what the power consumption on that is versus a, like a in <laughs> hundred dollar Atom true. Uh, Mini ITX motherboard. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was you know, uh, Rob just did a a, a review of the uh, Rob just did a review of the. Uh, uh, Puget Systems, one of their one of their Serenity Silent systems with the uh, right. Core i5 2500K in it on on Texilla, and the performance was was nice. But what really blew them away was the performance given the minuscule amounts of electricity 
that yep. system was consuming because of the Core i5 2500K. Um, so Gareth, awesome, awesome, awesome idea. I would have never thought to run XBMC on it. I was leaning towards yellow Linux. You could use it as a media server, a video jukebox. But uh, I love that you're actually using it as as an XBMC, which is basically, if you're not familiar with XBMC, Google it. It is a really awesome uh, media center. Basically, it was yep. the Xbox Media Center. Uh, runs on Windows, OS 10, Linux, Xbox, obviously. And it's a pretty amazing uh, piece of work. Um, cool. That's a really good idea, Gareth. Thank you so much for sending that in. Just watch the electrical bill. <laughs> <laughs> Twitch at twitch.tv is the email. I'm Patrick Norton. You can find me on Techzilla. We've been talking a bunch about that during the show. PCPer.com is one of the best hardware review sites on the Internet. So that's where you can find Ryan Shrout normally. Ryan, got any good stuff coming up this week? Um, yes, I would expect um, graphics card. If you if you are interested in the 6990, if you're interested in those super high-end graphics cards, you'll definitely want to pay attention um, this week, uh, mm-hmm. maybe into early next week. I guess that's what I'll say. Yes. <laughs> there, there could be more of those being released. How's that? It, it sounds mysterious. <laughs> a, a gentle tease. Uh, Texel this yes. week, coming up our next one. Um, we get hands-on with Internet Explorer 9, which just came out. Uh, the iPad 2, why its camera may disappoint you. And Digital Projection, one of the premier uh, front projector manufacturers, sent us their latest a mere $6,500 projector, <laughs> which Rob is going to test against my new $650 refurbished Optoma, um, but the uh, Envision mm. Cine 230. Nice. So uh, that was, uh, that's a, you would not believe how beautiful the output from that projector is. I mean, for 6,500, it should be beautiful. It should be, but. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that should be the model. It'll be nice to see. For that much money, it should be awesome. Anyhow, Twitch at twit.tv is the email. We love your questions. Keep sending them in. Until next week, I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Ryan Shrout. Have a great week. <laughs>